As Peggy was penciling in 46 down of the New York Times crossword puzzle, the five-letter spirit of forgetfulness is leve. Howard bumped the right front tire of the Packard into the curb hard enough to mess up Peggy's H. Grumbling, she erased and wrote it again as Howard shut the car off. I don't know why you wanted to come along. I can handle this myself. I'm here to help, dear. Take the keys out of the ignition. I was going to. You were going to that time in Phoenix, too, and we ended up taking the bus home. With several theatrical flourishes, Howard took the keys out of the ignition, showed them as a magician might show the jack of diamonds to a crowd, and dropped them into his pocket. I don't know why you had to come. All he's going to do is hand me a check. We finished. It's done. Then what's the harm in my being here? It's just that, just what? This was a man-to-man kind of deal. I know you usually handle the books and you're good at it, but this is a man-to-man kind of deal. What the hell is a man-to-man kind of deal, Howard? Dear, you know how I feel about you using that kind of language. Look, do you want to argue about this or do you want to go in and get the check? Howard opened his door. Let's go in. As Peggy got out, she heard Howard mutter, Howard Hughes. What about Howard Hughes? Peggy shut her door. Nothing. Were you about to compare yourself to Howard Hughes? Well, Howard said, we both have money. We both make movies. Great movies. Because Peggy was used to this kind of talk from Howard, it didn't hurt as much for her to suppress her laugh as it used to. Early in their marriage, a comment like that would have broken one of her ribs. But in the intervening years, her bones and organs had adjusted to the level of nonsense that poured from her husband's face. Her husband's bank balance was one ten-thousandth that of Howard Hughes. His movies were one one-hundred-thousandth as good. And Hughes' movies weren't very good. Yes, dear, she said with a slight smile she knew he didn't understand. Let's go in. I had a great head for finances before you came along, Howard said. Don't forget that. Yes, dear. I'll forget that you thought common stock was the stock poor people buy. I barely had any inheritance from my dad. Milford got most of it. Yes, dear. $417,000 plus the cabin in Big Bear is practically pocket change. Beggars would turn up their noses at it. By now, they were at this man's front door. Howard rang the bell. Howard always called the man Benjamin. But Peggy learned from the private investigator that, according to the records that dated back only two years, his full name was Benjamin Franklin Tan. He'd paid cash to rent this house last July. He had exactly $20,000 in Golden West savings, and he claimed to have a degree in business from UC Irvine that UC Irvine couldn't confirm. A pudgy Asian man, Benny, Peggy presumed, opened the door. He was dressed in a white linen shirt and shorts. The sound of the Dodgers game on the radio reverberated through the house. Benny shook Howard's hand and patted his shoulder. Howard, Benny said, and you must be Mrs. Zez. I'm Benny Tan. Call me Benny. You can call me Mrs. Zelesnik, Peggy said. I hope it's spelled right on the check. Benny laughed too long and too loud. He reached back and grabbed the check off the table. He handed it to Howard, who glanced at it cursorily before folding it to put in his pocket. Peggy said, May I, dear? She took the check from Howard and unfurled it. It was printed on pink paper with a watermark. The words cashier's check were printed on the lower right. 
under the amount of $250,000. It was made out to Howard Zelesnik, and it was signed. My, all those zeros, Peggy said. It's quite a chunk, Benny said. But Howard sure came through. You should be proud of him, ma'am. I suppose I should, Peggy said. Do you mind if we come in? Well, I, I do have the game on. That's okay, Peggy said. I'm a big baseball fan. I want to catch the score anyway. Benny stepped aside and let them in. The house was cool. The air conditioner was on full blast. The furniture in the place all looked well used or poorly cared for. When they passed the kitchen, Peggy noticed that the garbage was full of McDonald's bags and pizza boxes. She'd heard of people living below their means, but wow. The radio said Claude Austin was dealing the one-two pitch, ball two. Peggy sat on the chair that was the least stained. My husband must have done something pretty important to get this kind of money from you. Well, ma'am, he did. He saved some lives, in fact. Did he? Though that money isn't from me, in fact, we're supposed to split it. Why are you supposed to split it? Peggy asked. Honey, Howard said, we can get to that later. We can get to it now, Peggy said. Why are you splitting it? Well, you see, ma'am. Benny spoke as if to a small child. Mrs. Vin, the woman who sent this check, only just arrived in Taipei from Vietnam. She was a representative of the Zem government before it collapsed, and thanks to your husband, she was able to pay the right people to unlock her accounts and send along this check, which is meant for me because I came up with half the money she needed to unlock her account and your husband, who came up with the other half. Really? Peggy said. And how much money was the other half, honey? $5,000. Peggy's fist tightened. You never told me about any of this. I know, but see how it came back? $5,000 got me $125,000, which is more than what I need to pay for the extra special effects on dope dealers from outer space. It's going to look so much better thanks to this move. You should be proud of your husband, Mrs. Zez. Everything worked out for everyone. Yes, everything did, Peggy said. Honey, we're leaving now. But dear, I thought we could have a visit. We want to get that check in the bank right away, honey, Peggy said. Your wife has a point, Howard. Howard pursed his lip as he puzzled over what to do next. After a minute or two, the circuits kicked in and he said, Okay, let's go. Come over to lunch soon and we'll talk about my next movie. Maybe you could even be a producer on it. Gee, Howard, that'd be swell. Let's go, dear. Peggy grabbed Howard's arm and pulled him along with her to the front door. When they were alone in the car and driving away, Peggy took the check out of her purse and tore it in half. Howard let out a gasp and hit the brakes. What are you doing? Are you crazy? The check is no good, Howard. You were taken. What do you mean I was taken? There was no way anyone could take me. Someone in a Chevy started honking behind them. Howard shouted, try your lights! Original. I'll explain when we get home. No, you'll explain now. It took, it could take weeks to get another check. You don't want one. Pull over and let this guy go. Howard eased the Packard to the curb and shut off the engine. Okay, so, you're saying I was conned. Me, I was conned. Very good, Howard. You're learning by repetition. 
They already stung you good, but if you'd cash that check, you'd be spending the rest of your life working at a car wash or doing prison laundry. What the hell are you talking about, woman? Woman? I swear, if your dad hadn't made a fortune in farm equipment, you'd be lucky to make it as a toilet attendant. Let me guess how this worked. You met Benny Tan at the golf course or the lodge or somewhere, just by chance, of course. And after a few drinks, he tells you about this friend he has in Vietnam who needs some help. And since you'd make napalm to help the South Vietnamese if I let you, and since they offered you a piece of some giant bank account Mrs. Whatever supposedly has, you just coughed up the five grand. Now, if you'd asked me first, I'd have stopped you. But you didn't ask me first because some fart in your brain tells you that you're a financial wizard and I should just leave you alone. And maybe I should leave you alone. Maybe constant financial stupidity is grounds for divorce in California, but never mind that now. Here's what would have happened if you'd cashed that check. You'd have taken the $125,000 in cash to Benny Tan, if that is his real name, and somewhere in the next couple of weeks, he'd have vanished like yesterday's breeze. And a week or so after that, the bank would call you up and tell you that the check was a forgery. And since Benny is gone and there's no record of his being involved in anything, you'd be on the hook for your cash plus his. And if they decided to press charges for check forgery and fraud, the only way they'd fail to lock you up for the next 10 years would be because your lawyer would have a damn easy time arguing that you're too stupid to be a crook. But I paid Benny. And he didn't forget to say thank you. Howard was red-faced. When Dennis got like this, a beating was coming. But Howard would just sputter. There was nothing to fear. You don't have to talk to me like a child. I'm talking like an adult, Howard. No, I mean like I'm a child. I'm not doing that either. I wouldn't have to talk this way to my child because Molly has more sense than to blow a wad on a scam like this. How do you know? Because she's the daughter of a con artist, Howard. She saw him run games. Hell, Dennis and I ran this exact game a dozen times. You never told me that. I never told you a lot of things about my life with Dennis. You just told me he beat you. He did. He wasn't very stable. Howard shuddered. You were a criminal. You committed crimes. That's how Webster's defines a criminal, yes. And you conned the mocks like me. That's right. Did you like doing that? Yeah, I must have. I did it for 11 years. It beat marrying the soda jerk in Matitsi, Wyoming. In a way, I kept doing it when I was with you. What do you mean? All those pictures we took on the road, me in that nurse's outfit checking to see if people were healthy enough to watch your monster flick without having a heart attack. That uniform was scratchy as hell, and anyone else you'd have married would have felt silly, but I thought it was fun. I guess I've always liked a little con in my men. Probably helped that I had money, too, Howard said. What? It's true. If I hadn't had money, how interested would you have been? You never get as mad at me as you do when the subject is money. I bet if I cheated on you, the part that would make you mad would be the amount I spent on dinner and drinks. Peggy balled her fists but kept them down. She wasn't going to hit him. She'd never hit him, and this wouldn't be the moment, because even as the anger swelled in her, filled her every cell and dripped from every pore in lieu of sweat, she knew from a hundred beatings that fist-hitting bone didn't make an accusation more true or false. And even as she said, how dare you, she wasn't sure if what Howard said was true or not. 
When she thought of Howard, the words that came to mind fastest were old-fashioned, strange, blinkered, prejudiced, and silly. If she strained to dig deeper, she could come up with funny, though he was usually not funny on purpose, and lacked a genuine sense of humor. Decent and steady applied, if only because he lacked the imagination for an affair and seemed to get all his ideas about sex from Billy James Hargis. Unfortunately, Billy James Hargis was the source of a lot of his other ideas, but let that pass. Still, Peggy knew lots of other wives. She'd been to the golf club and the supermarket, and she'd heard enough to know that this was what husbands usually were when they weren't something worse. And if you can land on one that's all right, Peggy Sottlemyer Zalesnik, you'll let him in your body for a few minutes a week and laugh at his dumb jokes and try to keep him from destroying you both because sometimes that's the best there is. And you make excuses because you're not happy, but you would like to be happy. But you don't even know what a source of happiness looks like anymore. And in the meantime, there's a daughter who needs things that a woman alone has a hell of a time getting honestly. And you'll be damned if you let her waste that good brain in her head. And Howard does have his moments. Not many of them. But he does have them. Can't believe, Peggy said, that you think I married you just for the money. I didn't mean that. I I only meant that it was part of it. I try to keep us from being destroyed. I save you from making a big mistake, and this is the thanks I get. I said I didn't mean that, but you didn't say you were sorry. I never say I'm sorry. You know that. Well, you need to. Right now. Howard set his jaw, then croaked out. If I said anything wrong, I'm sorry. If he said anything wrong. Peggy stuck the remnants of Tan's check in her purse and snapped it shut. If he said anything wrong. Jesus. If Howard could write that line in one of his movies, it might put him on the cusp of his first decent scene. As Howard started the car again, Peggy's thoughts turned to whether they could deduct the money Howard blew on Benny as a business loss. She'd talk to their accountant on Monday. That was the ungriftable Howard Zez. Between the coronavirus, which has killed 110,000 of us at this writing, and the aftermath of the police murder of George Floyd, it's been hard to find motivation to perform these stories. Rather than get into how I found the motivation, a fascinating topic to be explored another day, I thought I'd instead urge you to donate to those who are confronting these issues. Follow the links in the description to donate to causes that support Black Lives Matter and organizations fighting coronavirus. Also, speak out, march, volunteer, and take care. I'm Jim Snowden.